Leviticus 25, beginning at verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God, that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall, he shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants, whom I brought out from the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. Here is our Old Covenant reading. Our New Covenant reading is from... Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon is after Titus and before Hebrews. It's a short letter, so you can easily miss it. Philemon, and we'll be reading verses 8 through 14 this evening. We're actually looking at verses 8 through 13, but rather than stop in the middle of the sentence, we'll read through verse 14. Paul's letter to Philemon, beginning at verse 8. This is the word of our God. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you. And to me, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Now, at its heart, this letter of Paul to Philemon is about Christ-likeness. It's about Christ-likeness. Philemon is called, he's being called by the Apostle Paul, to be like Christ, as he graciously forgives the one who has sinned against him and seeks reconciliation and restoration. It's actually important to realize, though, that this is not only about Philemon being Christ-like. Paul himself is Christ-like as he does the work of reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. There's actually a sense in which Paul stands in the place of Christ for Onesimus and Philemon, bringing those who were enemies together and making them friends. This call to Christ-likeness is a call to believe the gospel and to live out the gospel in practice. See, Philemon knows the gospel, right? And Paul is confident about it. 
But now it's time for Philemon, in a very difficult situation, to live out the gospel, to grow in Christ's likeness. Now the goal that Paul is driving at here is forgiveness and reconciliation. But the thing is, that isn't going to happen unless Philemon is willing to love Onesimus. You realize that that's actually kind of hard to do, right? Like Onesimus ran out on him, left his responsibility, stole from him. This is a really hard situation. It's really hard to love someone who comes back having wronged you. Philemon isn't going to be able to reconcile with Onesimus unless he's willing to love him and show him grace. Now, I think as outsiders looking in, like this is always easier, right? When you're on when you're on the outside, like, yeah, of course. I mean, just forgive him, Philemon. It's not a big deal. I mean, you're a rich guy. How, how hard could this have hurt you? It's really easy to be that person on the outside and say, hey, this is what you ought to do. Go for it, Philemon. You've got to do this. It's good to remember that it's always easier when we aren't the ones who have been wrong. When we haven't suffered the hurt and the betrayal. Uh, there, there are actually a lot of things pulling Philemon in the other direction. Right? He's a slave owner. So presumably, he's got more than one slave. Presumably, Philemon's not his only slave. And, and, and this slave, slave owner, Philemon, has, has a slave, Onesimus, who runs away from him, who steals from him, who wrongs him in some pretty bad ways. And now that slave is come back. How does it look, do you think, to the rest of Philemon's slaves if he just up and outright forgives that slave who, who hurt him? It's even worse than that, though, for Philemon, doesn't it? Because Paul isn't merely pushing for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He's actually pushing for Philemon to set him free. And we'll actually see a little bit of, you know, uh, hints of that in the verses that we're looking at this evening. But it comes up pretty explicitly in some of the verses that follow, and we'll get to those. Onesimus wrongs, think about this, Onesimus wrongs his master, and as a consequence, he gets free. Like, if you're the rest of Philemon's slaves, you're going, well, maybe we should run away too. Like, you know, it's not a bad deal. How would that look to the other slave owners that Philemon, like, in the circle that he's in? How does it look to those other guys? Philemon's reputation is on the line. It's actually quite hard for him to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to love. There are a lot of things pulling Philemon in the other direction. How is he going to display Christ's likeness and live out the gospel in this kind of situation? How is it that God wants him, what is it that God is calling him to do in love in order that he might be more like Christ? How is he going to move toward forgiveness and reconciliation? Well, he is called to live according to love. And it's a love that he already has, right? That's what Paul spent the whole first part of the letter harping on. Philemon, I know your love. The love you have for God. The love you have for his people. It's a love that Philemon already has, and that's what Paul wants him to grow in. See, it is Christian love that leads us to gospel living. See, I thought I was going to retitle the sermon. That's what I call it. Sermon titles are slippery, right? Like, you think you're going one direction, and the sermon writes itself in another direction. So if I was going to retitle this, it would be Christian love leads to gospel living. And as this love controls Philemon's thoughts and actions, he will be propelled toward forgiveness and reconciliation. 
So what is Paul talking about here? How is love supposed to control us? What is that love supposed to look like as it plays out in the life of the believer, as it plays out in controlling us and making us be more like Christ? Four points I want us to consider um, in these verses. <coughs> and that is this. Christian love leads to willing obedience, gospel useful, usefulness, doing the good, and loving the beloved. We're actually going to only look at the first two points of those four this evening. Isn't it? That, that whole idea actually encompasses through verse 16. We're going to, we're going to stop in verse 13. Come back and look at the last two points um, in the coming weeks, Lord willing. So we're going to look at just the first two points. Christian love leads to willing obedience and gospel usefulness. Willing obedience and gospel usefulness. So look at me first here at the way that Christian love leads to willing obedience. Look at me again at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes this. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I call an old man, now a prisoner also, for Christ Jesus. Now Paul starts here in verse 8 with the word accordingly, and essentially what that's doing is he's, he's signaling to Philemon that what he is about to say in the following verses is based on what he has already said in the previous verses, verses 1 through 7. So Philemon, what we looked at in verses 1 through 7, is that Philemon is a believer on whom God has poured out grace in Christ. Philemon has responded to God's grace in faith and love toward God, and also in love toward his fellow believers. And he, he is actively participating in the shared life of the people of God. Now, as we come to verse 8, Paul is, is moving into his main request, right? Verses 1 through 7, where just, he was just getting warmed up, you know, trying to work his way into what he's about to tell Philemon. And, and so here in verse 8, he's beginning to move toward his main request. He's going to ask Philemon to receive Onesimus back. And he bases his request for this on what he already knows to be true of Philemon. In verse 9, he says, here, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And what he's talking about is he's talking about Philemon's love. For the sake of the love that you have, Philemon, the love that you have for God and God's people, for the sake of that love, I'm appealing to you. I think the reference here to Paul as an old man and a prisoner in Christ it's a reference to Paul's position of authority in the church, right? Paul isn't denying his authority. We'll, we'll kind of see that. Like, he's not saying, I don't have authority. But he's framing his authority very gently and very diplomatically. It's, it's Paul who led the church of Christ. It's Paul who sacrificed himself, was willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. It's this Paul that's making the appeal. Now, the reason that's important is Paul, as an apostle, has rights. He has authority. He could issue a command based on his apostolic authority. And Philemon would be bound to obey. Paul could say, Philemon, this is exactly what you're going to do. And you're going to like it. And Philemon would have to be like, okay, I guess that's what's going on. But Paul doesn't outright appeal to his authority. He, like, he makes it known. Philemon, I've got authority, just so you know. But I'm not going to appeal to that. Right? He, he doesn't appeal to his authority. He doesn't issue a command. 
He wants Philemon to grow in love, and he knows that an outright command isn't going to lead to that. Yes, Philemon would comply, but he might miss the opportunity to grow in love in Christ's likeness. And Paul doesn't want him to miss that opportunity. He isn't only concerned about Philemon doing the right thing. He's also concerned that Philemon do the right thing willingly, out of love for God and love for God's people. So you put yourself in Philemon's shoes for a minute. Onesimus has come back. He brings you a letter from the Apostle Paul. And like, you're kind of mad, right? Like this guy who walked out and you stole from you, hurt you, and now he's standing right in front of you. And you're, you're kind of upset. You've got all these emotions going through your mind. And, and you're reading Paul's letter, and Paul starts by praising your godliness and your love for the people of God. So far, so good. You know, okay, that's good. You're right, Paul. But, you know, I'm kind of a good guy. And you know he's going to say something about Onesimus, because after all, Onesimus is right there, and you're expecting Paul to bring this up. But my guess is you aren't prepared for what Paul says next. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. And finally, he's going, wait, what? I I thought this was about Onesimus, and now I'm the one that's being required to do something? Shouldn't it be Onesimus that Paul is requiring things on? Now, just as a side note, my, my guess, I think it's a good guess, is that Paul actually did require some things from Onesimus. Uh, because Onesimus has come back, right? Like, Onesimus is going to try to make amends and do what is right. So Paul did require things from Onesimus, but he didn't tell Philemon about it. Because Paul's focus in this letter is not on Onesimus. It's on Philemon. He's got his finger pointed directly at Philemon. I have the right to command you to do what you ought to do, Philemon. Those are some pretty strong words. Now, Paul isn't going to command Philemon, but this doesn't take away from the fact that there are some things that God wants Philemon to do. This isn't a letter written to Onesimus, right? God wants Philemon to do these things willingly. And the thing that's going to lead Philemon to willing obedience is love. See, when we've grasped the grace of God in our lives, when we've grasped that, we respond to God in love. Remember what Jesus said. He said that it is the person who understands that they have forgiven much that loves in return. He said this to Simon the Pharisee. You probably remember the story. Jesus is in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And a woman who is a sinner comes in off the street and she is pouring out her love on Jesus. And Simon is horrified. But as it turns out, Simon hasn't done anything to show Jesus even common respect. Because he didn't see his need for a Savior. So he didn't love much. It was the woman who saw her sin and her need for grace that responded with love for God. It is that kind of love, understanding who we were outside of Christ and what Christ did for us and responding to that in love. It is that love that leads us to willing obedience to Christ. That's the whole idea behind the Ten Commandments, right? God redeemed his people out of bondage from Egypt and it was because that they were redeemed people that he called them to obedience. A willing, joyful obedience that delighted in the law of God. The thing is, it's not enough to know the gospel just in your mind. You also have to live out the demands of the gospel. 
The same Jesus who gave his life for you is the Jesus who says to you, come and follow me even to the death. Our love for Christ because of what he has done for us should lead us to follow him willingly. Christian, if you find that your love for Christ has grown cold, if you find that obedience feels more like getting your teeth pulled, than a joyful desire to serve the one who bought you with his blood, then you need to spend some time meditating on the fact that you have been forgiven much. I think we know in our minds, right, we know that man isn't basically good. We're good with our theology. We know that. But in practice, we like to think of ourselves as basically good. We don't want to have to look at ourselves and say, yep, I'm a rebel. And I really don't want to follow God's law. I, I really like to do my own thing. We don't want to think of ourselves that way, right? It's easy for us to go, well, I don't do the sins other people do. Okay, like I have sins, but it's little sins. You know, it's not big stuff. I seek to walk daily in obedience to God. That's a good thing. If your desire is to walk daily in obedience to God, that's a good thing. But let me just remind you what our confession says about this. It says this, They who in their obedience attain to the greatest height which is possible in this life are so far from being able to super arrogate. There's a word you don't use very often. Fortunately, the confession defines that word in the next phrase and to do more than God requires. That's what it means. They are so far from being able to do more than God requires as that they fall short of much, which in duty they are bound to do. What the confession is reminding us of is that even the most obedient Christian, that's the way it says it, the Christians that attain to the greatest height which is possible in this life, the most obedient Christians among us, can never do all that duty requires of us We all fall short. We couldn't save ourselves by our good works. And now that we're Christians, we can't earn any favor with God by our good works. We have been forgiven much. And every day we are still in need of grace. That's who we are. We're people living by grace. And when that grace of God poured out on us in Christ has gripped our hearts, we will love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that love for God will lead us to willingly obey. Opportunities for willing obedience are opportunities to become more like Christ. To become more of what we were meant to be as those created in the image of God. On this side of glory. And I think the reason that's important to understand is that love for God is not an abstract feeling. It's not like, well, God saved me. That makes me feel really warm and fuzzy inside. Now, there is an emotional response. There is joy and there is delight in what God has done. But that is meant to be accompanied by concrete action. Love is an action. I I think that, you know, any of us who are married know that uh, just, you know, by experience. If all you do is tell your wife that you love her and you never do anything nice, like those words don't mean anything. Love is an action. No parent wants resentful obedience from their children. 
How much more does our gracious Heavenly Father deserve willing obedience from us? Those whom he has saved by the blood of his only son. See, for Philemon, this willing obedience took the shape of forgiving the one who had wronged him. Your willing obedience may look different. You might not be experiencing what Philemon is experiencing here. But I'm positive of this fact. God is in some way calling you today to some kind of willing obedience. There is something in your life that God, in which God wants you to obey him and he wants you to do it willingly. He doesn't want you to do it dragging and kicking and screaming. Now, just to be clear, what I'm saying is it's not like, you know, you go, well, I don't really want to obey and I don't have the desire to obey, so I don't have to do it. That's not how that works, right? You have to obey even if you don't want to. That isn't always the most joyful experience. There is joy and blessing in saying, Lord, I desire to obey you and to please you because you have saved me. And so meditate on God's grace. Meditate on God's love for you. Let that grace warm your heart into love for God. And let that love flow out in your obedience, in your willing obedience. Christian love leads to willing obedience. Second, Christian love leads to gospel usefulness. Christian love leads to gospel usefulness. Look at me here at verses 10 and 11. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Now, at this point, the focus of Paul's appeal becomes explicit. Right? Onesimus ran away from Philemon, but in God's providence, he came in contact with the Apostle Paul. It's, it's, it's not possible to tell how this happened, right? Um, some scholars have conjectured that Onesimus actually went looking for Paul because he felt that Paul could help him in this situation. Uh, that's possible. We just don't really know. Uh, what we do know is that God in his providence, right, this isn't the age of like Facebook and Instagram and you know exactly where everybody is, right? So God providentially guided Onesimus to where Paul was and brought him under the ministry of Paul. And it was Paul who led him to Christ. And because of this, because this is what had happened, Paul has a great love for Onesimus. And I think it's quite obvious here that Onesimus has a great love for Paul. Paul describes their relationship as like that of a father and a son in the faith. Here's the thing I want to ask you. As you look at the way that Paul's describing this, think about it this way. How do you think someone would feel if you mistreated their children? Right, like let's say they, uh, they, they have something, you know, they have to go to the hospital for a while, and they, they send their kids to you to take care of them. And while they're in the hospital, you have their kids, you mistreat them. And you're really harsh to them and unkind. And the kids go back and tell the parents, how do you think those parents feel about you? Well, it's not very good. Like, it's not going to help your relationship. Well, that's kind of what Paul is doing here to Philemon, right? He's like, Philemon, by the way, this guy, he's like my son. So I want you to treat him that way. If Philemon is harsh to Onesimus, he's going to risk the displeasure of the Apostle Paul. And like, if you know Paul, that's probably not a good idea. That's not something that most people would have wanted to do. 
I'm appealing to you, Philemon, but remember, the guy that I'm appealing to you about is my son. So treat him that way. It's important to realize, though, as Paul's saying this, that he's not glossing over what happened. Onesimus has sinned against Philemon. And Paul is making that very clear. He's not sugarcoating this. He says that that Onesimus was a useless slave. Yes, Philemon, he was useless. Now Paul wants Philemon to see that things are different. Onesimus is a different man. His heart has been transformed by Christ. He is again useful to his earthly master. He is useful for the work of the ministry. And it's funny that even his name points to that. Uh, the name Onesimus comes from a root word that has the idea of usefulness. Uh, of giving some benefit. Think about what it meant for Paul to say... He is useful to me. It's like the ultimate endorsement. You know? Like if, if you wanted an endorsement for something, that would be it. The Apostle Paul saying, this guy, this guy's good. This guy's useful. Uh, you know, think about when uh, when scholars or theologians write books, you know, they get endorsements from their peers and colleagues. And you want endorsements from, from those scholars, those theologians who are have good reputations, who people know and respect. It lends credibility to your work. Other people want to pick up your book and read it because of the endorsements that are on that, that, back, that back cover. Well, Paul's just given Onesimus, it's like a pretty solid endorsement. And if the Apostle Paul says he is useful, who is Philemon to say otherwise? I think it's kind of, there's a bit of irony. Well, I don't know if irony is the right word. Um, maybe it's a bit of humor at least from our end as we're reading this letter, that Paul started his letter by calling Philemon his fellow worker. And now he's saying basically the same thing about Onesimus. And so if Philemon, you know, if Philemon started reading the letter, he's like, oh, I'm a fellow worker with Paul, this is good. If he's going to accept that compliment, he's going to have to accept what Paul said about Onesimus. Paul is very gently and very wisely hedging Philemon in. Seeking to coax him and lead him, without commanding him, but still seeking to lead him to do the thing that God desires. Look at me at the verses that follow, verses 12 through 14. Paul says this, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Now again, Paul isn't minimizing the sin or the need to do what is right. He is sending Onesimus back to make amends. But he calls Onesimus his very heart. Uh, and in the English, we, we use the word heart. It represents the seat of emotions. But for the Greek, it's like, uh, it's like bowels or intestines. It's like your, your inward parts, you know. We, we actually still kind of do this in our language, you know. I was sick to my stomach when you have a, like a really emotional response to something. Or like I have butterflies in my stomach when you fall in love. And we still actually use that idea of like the stomach for where the emotions are. And that's exactly what's going on here. Paul, Paul is using like it's the ultimate expression uh, of affection. Like, this guy is really close to me. And again, there's a little bit of, like, it's kind of humorous in one sense because 
Paul had called Philemon beloved back in verse 1, and now he's calling Onesimus beloved. He's putting Onesimus and Philemon kind of on the same plane here. Philemon is a fellow worker, so is Onesimus. Philemon is beloved, so is Onesimus. Maybe Philemon had prided himself in the fact that Paul thought highly of him. I don't know about you, but I would. If Paul was like, hey, you're a fellow worker and beloved, I'd be like, yeah, that's me. You know, I would be really happy about that. But now he's saying the exact same thing about Onesimus. Paul thinks highly of Onesimus. Paul has received Onesimus as his very own. That is Christ's likeness. Paul wants Philemon to display Christ's likeness. And he's modeling it for him, right? Paul wanting to keep Onesimus with him goes back to what he said about Onesimus' usefulness for gospel ministry. Paul needed to be ministered to while he was in prison. He had needs. We actually looked at this in uh, our study of 2 Timothy, right? I think these are different imprisonments. But, but that idea of like, while he was in prison, he had needs. And he needed people to come and minister to him. He needed helpers in order to continue doing the work of the ministry. You know, he's sending this guy here and that guy there. He's sort of managing the churches. And he needs people with him to do that. Well, Philemon has a chance to serve Paul and to serve with Paul for the sake of Christ. If he, if he is willing to serve Paul, he's partnering with him in his suffering for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And it's funny because Paul sort of takes this for granted, right? Philemon, I, I, just, I know you want to serve with me. And the thing is, is that if now if Philemon says no, it'd be like, no, Paul, I, I don't really want to help you. Like, how heartless could you be, right? Paul is gently propelling Philemon toward reconciliation and doing what is right. It would have been completely heartless to mistreat one whom Paul so much desired to have by him. It would have been heartless toward Onesimus. It would have been heartless toward Paul. Now, the important thing to realize here is that this is an appeal toward Philemon's love, right? Paul is saying, Philemon, I know that you've got love. I know you will be heartless toward me and toward the work of the ministry of God. And we saw back in verse 6 that that love that Philemon has is meant to play out in Christian fellowship, in our shared life together as the people of God. Paul is basically saying that, he's basically saying this, my life is bound up with Onesimus, he's my child in the faith. My life is bound up with yours, Philemon, you're my partner in it. And Paul wants Philemon's love, love for God and love for God's people to lead him to partner with Paul in gospel ministry. He wants that partnership to take the form of Philemon sending Onesimus to minister alongside of Paul. And see, if he does that, if Philemon is willing to do that, he's actually working out that koinonia, that fellowship, that shared life with Paul and Onesimus together. Paul's basically saying, look, Philemon, our lives, all three of us, are bound up together for the cause of Christ. This isn't just about Onesimus being useful for gospel ministry, is it? This is about Philemon being useful for gospel ministry. Philemon's love for God and love for God's people is meant to lead him to be useful for the kingdom of God. God didn't save us so that we could sit on the sidelines and observe while the kingdom goes forward. Right? It's kind of like when you go to a high school soccer game or something, right? Everyone on the sideline is suddenly a soccer player and an expert on how to play soccer. 
But if you ask them to jump into the game, like they last, what? I don't know, I would last like three seconds. I wouldn't be able to keep up with those guys, right? The Christian life isn't supposed to be like that. It's not, we're not sideline observers and coaches. We're supposed to be active in working for the kingdom of God. And it's our love for God that leads us to active service. Christian, if you find yourself sitting on the sidelines observing while others do the work, let the knowledge of God's grace warm your heart to love. Turn your gaze to the cross of Christ. And as you continuously gaze on Christ, your love for Him will grow. This is why we should never be tired of hearing the gospel or preaching the gospel to ourselves. Again and again and again, we need to hear, Jesus died for me. Why? Because that causes us to love God. It causes us to have a love that is active. As your love for Christ grows, so will your desire to serve Him. And the thing is, service to Christ can be small, right? Jesus said a cup of cold water given to a child of God would be rewarded. And your service to God may go unnoticed by men. Sometimes that's why it's hard, right? Like nobody really sees what we do. But it will not go unnoticed by Christ. It's possible that there would have been people that would have criticized Philemon for basically rewarding the slave who wronged him. But Paul's saying, don't, don't look at what other people might say. Don't, don't worry about that finding it. It's not about what people think about you. Look only to the way that you can serve and please Christ. And let him reward you. God had taken a bad circumstance in Philemon's life and turned it into an opportunity for kingdom service. And it's Philemon's love for God that will enable him to see past the hurt, to see past the wrong that has been done to him, and to look at how he can serve Christ today. To look at how he can join in spreading the message of the gospel to the world. Christian love leads to willing obedience and gospel usefulness. There are two points, two more points to consider in that regard, but we'll come to that in another week. The question we want to ask ourselves when we close this evening is, do you love God? I am confident that you do. That love is meant to control you. How is God calling you today to love Him? How is He calling you to obey Him and serve Him? How is He calling you to be more like God? Brothers and sisters, may your love for God, because of the grace poured out on you in Jesus Christ, because of the grace communicated to you by the Holy Spirit, may that love be the means 